welcome to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Wahead, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Mana. Welcome on to the Searching for Mana show, Claire. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, for a fuller introduction, Claire Gates is the current Chief Commercial Officer with PPRO. Um, joined in April. 2021, so recently. Um, as the former CEO of PaySafe, PayLater, and the most influential woman in payments in 2019, Claire brings unique payments experience to PPRO. Over 25 years of experience driving strategy for both large financial institutions and startup disruptors. Uh, in her role as Chief Commercial Officer for PPRO, Claire helps to lead the sales and marketing teams, push forward new commercial initiatives, and support building partnerships that further PPR owes growth. Um, looking at your background, um, chemical engineering at university, yeah. I think, um, and then have worked at a myriad of the financial institutes and payment, um, MasterCard, Amex, Virgin Money, and many more. So lots of us, lots of stuff for us to get um, stuck into. To start with, it'd be very kind of you if you could tell us all about what's going on right now at PPRO and your role within it, please. Yes, so at PPRO, um, we are the global infrastructure provider for local payment methods. And um, I think a lot of people have this perception that most of transactions on e-commerce are being done by credit and debit cards. Um, and even before the um, COVID situation where most of us went and did most of our shopping on e-commerce and online, even before that, there was a lot of markets and a lot of regions where people were using what we, we refer to as alternative payment methods. Alternative to credit cards or debit cards, but for many of these markets, they are actually the preferred uh, product whether it's Sofor in Germany, whether it's Klarna, whether it's a, a digital wallet, Alipay, WeChat Pay, Blick, um, or OXO in Latin America. Many of these products are what the consumers are using to purchase their goods and services. And PPRO um, allow the payment service providers, who in turn um, allow their merchants to offer these um, alternative payment methods with a single contract and a single connection. We open up hundreds of merchants, uh, apologies, we open up hundreds of markets um, where merchants can offer their products and services globally to consumers who want to pay with their local preferred method. Fantastic. So a really um, exciting space um, evermore. I mean, it has been for several years um, and you, you've certainly been at, at the helm of it. Um, in terms of so the audience could try and position you versus other names that they might know. Um, let's think about um, other payment 
companies that um, people would be aware of, but perhaps don't understand the differentiation. So perhaps if you could talk about companies like Square, Stripe, and then whether they're competitors directly or if there's nuanced differences. We certainly don't position ourselves as competitors to payment uh, service providers or financial institutions and banks who are offering those sort of payment services to the merchants. We, our proposition is all about enabling those payment service providers, the Squares, the Stripes, the Mollies, the Alipays, etc., to be able to offer through our infrastructure the local payment methods. Yeah. So one would connect to us. Um, and in doing so, you have a menu of uh, local payment methods, alternative payment methods, and they would then choose what's relevant for their, their particular verticals that they have already existing within their portfolio or who they're actually going after um, to attract. So so, are you, so is PPRO yeah. the only one who's offering this infrastructure? Um, yeah, we, we, look, yes, we are. There are competitors. With any success that you get, yeah. um, there's always going to be um, people who are wanting to also offer a similar solution. We offer that we are the global leading provider of this, um, and but you, you start to see some others coming up in in regional areas. The difference is with us though is because we've got fifteen years of experience, we offer a real end to end solution, not just from a product perspective in terms of making sure that we've got the capabilities to do it in the market with the right settlement and the right currencies, but also we offer the consultative approach to it. When you go into a new market, you need to understand you don't need all of those different payment methods. There are thousands of different payment methods. Yep. You know, As we go every, every week, every month, there's a, something new popping up. Yep. And it's all about getting the relevant ones that are going to cover 80% of the market opportunity. Yep. And that's where we come in with our consultative approach. Also ensuring from a regulatory and compliance perspective, we also talk about our product being close to the metal and what that really means is when we integrate into a local payment method, we make sure it is uh, optimal so that we can ensure that we're offering the best quality which translates into maximising conversions. And it just doesn't, doesn't really stop when we just you know, connect and um, you know, sign up that contract. It's also an ongoing uh, support that we do whether it's sales enablement to make sure that their salespeople understand how they sell their local payment methods yep. but, but a little bit more than that it's also around um, always ensuring we're maximizing the conversions at um, checkout because that means money it means money for the the merchants and money for the PSPs you know I, it says we say around 20% of carts get abandoned at checkout yeah. because a local payment uh, method is I, I thought it would be more. It is. I was just about to say, that is the official. Yeah. Um, but I know from a lot of the markets that I've operated in, it can be as much as 40 to 50% wow. depending on that vertical and that market. Yeah. Um, and that costs a lot of money to yeah. actually get a customer into the actual flow. They're engaged. They're excited. They want to buy something, put loads of things into their, 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 their cart, only to find that they the way that they need to pay or want to pay is not offered yeah. is really frustrating. So experience that I'm sure many people can relate to recently on that point is a drop down of like, like as, as, as a fintech geek, it's, it's really fun, but like 20 different payment methods. And I find that that's a bit messy. Um, the, the, I suppose the ideal experience is at some point, uh, and, and you'd, you'd be able to think this through way better than me, 
but like one touch paying and it's somehow magically connected to how you pay, right? Mm-hmm. But at the moment it's going, do I want to pay with this, 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 this? And as you say, sometimes maybe not the relevant ones there. So that's really fun to think through how you guys are trying to curate that better. Mm, absolutely. So, and watch this space in many ways. This will be the next phase or next evolution. Yeah. Before it was a few payment methods that you saw, then it's like, as you say, 20. And it's, it's just like, where do you start? Yeah. Um, and you've got to scroll down and what have you. But technology will allow it to be popping up the ones that are relevant to you because they've, oh, you know, I hate okay. to say it, but they've tracked, yeah. tracked your behavior. They know what you prefer to pay with mm, yeah. in the past, on site and in other sites. Um, and that's the sort of technology we'll start to seeing. So the consumer journey is just much more efficient and you know, it's better, a better experience at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, from, the, from the venture capital type of questioning um, thought that I'm having, I want to understand the, the size of the market opportunity, which of course is, I suppose, many things, but two things I'm interested in. One is, how big is the market today and what percentage of it do you have if you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I, it, it's it's. Um, I'd have to get the. We don't need out. to quote yeah. you on this, but yeah. but ballparkish type um, of numbers. You know, it's a fraction of the size of the opportunity that there is yeah. for people. Absolutely, um, and that is because it's all about. Um, whilst we've got the partners within the network, it's ensuring that the partners are offering the services to their portfolio of merchants, and COVID. There are always various... Hey, this is good, by the way, because I was thinking you yeah. guys are done. You've, you, yeah, yeah. you've won, you're number one, you've got all the market. But so, because part of your remit, as we introduced at the beginning, is to, to expand out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, How yeah, yeah, so much can you ex- ex- <laughs> expand out of the current market as it exists? And then the second question is going to be, um, I'm going to imagine in territories it doesn't exist, and that's part of the opportunity as well, right? Well, there's a few factors that are making it um, expand and grow and bigger opportunity. You know, the change of age of a demographic. Mm, you know, if you yeah. if you think about a poll of the average person who used to use a credit debit card, um, it would probably skew towards a higher, uh, an older individual. Yeah. Um, and also the, the trend of just new, better payment methods that are there to use. You know, why do you need to open up your wallet now and take out a debit or credit card? You can just tap with your wallet, etc. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's helped to create more opportunities for us as a business. Um, as consumer demands change, new products are being put onto the market, buy now, pay later. A yeah. great one to think, because I came from that industry and you know recently built up a business and sold it um, back in 2020. But buy now, pay later. And I love that people say, oh, it's, it's just, um, it's a new thing that's just come out. Well, it hasn't, it's been around yeah. for years, yeah. okay? But in a different structure, in a different format. Like credit at a store, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And now it's just a lot more convenient for people. Yeah. It's so flexible. Whereas um, years ago, people did buy now, pay later for a higher average ticket size. Now you can do it as small as 25, yeah. you know, 25 dollars, 25 euros, maybe even less in certain scenarios. But it's just so flexible and versatile. They've been out, technology has enabled us to make it cost efficient to deliver it for larger scale tickets as well as the smaller scale tickets. Claire, we're in September 2021, and that particular market is trending like I've never seen <laughs> before, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so for you, it's, 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 it's I've been doing this for, for ages, but, um, you know, just today, I think Monzo 
have come out saying that they're going to put a buy now, pay later offering uh, to their customers. We've had over the last couple of weeks Revolut looking at this as well or, or, or going after it. Mm. And, and the list really goes on. So, you know, those neobanks have, have, have gone, hmm, OK, there's a profit lever that we can, we can pull. There's negative commentary about it as well in the market, which, um, you know, come from various um, stories where perhaps people are not taking enough consideration whether they really need the stuff that they're buying. Be keen for you to talk to that. Mm. Um, also, there's the, the underwriting side of it. It's a form of credit at the end of the day. So it all depends on actually where the economics come for the company who does buy now, pay later. How much of it is reliant on a consumer uh, not defaulting, but you know, forgetting their payment, mm. okay, and hence you've got to earn your earning interest from it, or how much of the revenue is coming from the actual um, merchant. So, for the portfolio that I used to, the business I used to run, the majority of our revenue came from the actual merchant who wanted to offer the product to the consumer. So they would pay mm. a what we call a merchant discount rate for that service, yeah. okay? So instead of the consumer having to pay anything, what they wanted to do is give you, the consumer, the flexibility to buy it now, try it, and then pay for it at yeah. your convenience. Yeah. So they paid for that. So that was a different economics. Oh, I what I think yeah. we have to worry about, yeah. um, and I, I, it's just something that I, I feel quite passionate about, is ensuring that credit is often to the people who can really afford it, and they're right. not getting into any sort of um, over-indebtedness or hardship potentially. Yeah, absolutely. But a flexibility of that product is actually very, it is a convenient product and it addresses, or I think is in many markets, the change in the consumer, um, you know, the way consumers are thinking about things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I hope that that's got right. Because, um, yeah, it feels like a, a step toward, um, you know, using technology for convenience but um yeah a lot of the the credit risk will need to be tightly preserved and then that's interesting the differentiation we had um rob from liberis mm -hmm. on to the show and so that sounds like what you were doing with pay safe pay later similar to that liberis business model as well from what i understand which is where they're you know offering the um the merchant the ability to in slightly different way um, you know, take credit from the the revenue that they're accruing. And mm. so that allows them to obviously accelerate into the business opportunity. And you're seeing like Clearco starting to do this in e-commerce as well. Um, so that's, I, and I think that's great. I like that way around because the incentive's right. Whereas like you say, when it's on the consumer and then you're making the money from somebody, most likely in this instance, just literally forgetting, yeah, probably right. forgetting it, right? Yes. Then that's not right. So yeah. that, that's something we should really we should really look at. So we've seen that there is very exciting new branding at Pro. What does that mean for the business? Um, yeah, look, the business is, we have gone through a new branding, um, but it's more than just the rebranding. You know, it's not just about a new logo, new colors, etc. It's all about our repositioning. It goes beyond that. It's all about our uh, team of people, our product, our proposition, and, and the whole service that we're offering, which is what we've got today and how we see ourselves going and developing in the future. Expanding our value proposition, moving into new markets, new products, features, and benefits, and also extending our proposition to a value-added services. What colors are you using? <laughs> Well, you see lots of colours, <laughs> and that's what's lovely about it. It's just a lovely blend of different colour palettes. With um, the business being quite a lot of the time behind the scenes, 
Why did you feel the brand so important? Brand is um, identity for an organisation and it's also, yes, we are behind the scenes um, and we've been one of the, uh, a really good kept secret, best kept secret I sometimes refer to within the organisation because when you think about, we power many, most of the global payment companies and um, it's the right time to be able to move into the next phase of our growth within PPRO. So exciting. Yeah, really exciting. Um, okay, I think I have a really good view of uh, what you're up to. Um, I would just be keen to understand uh, a bit about the actual company so so the audience can, can, can put that into size and shape. So I think uh, it's around 400 employees at the moment. It is indeed, and it's been a, a massive growth in the number of employees um, in the last, I understand, in the last 12 months. Yeah. Even since I've joined, it's significantly grown. Um, as you would have seen, or, or you might not have, but we, we raised a significant yes. amount of uh, capital. So I did that see. has been helpful <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in helping to uh, propel our growth and our opportunity. And the market yeah. is right as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, from a, a cultural perspective, and I think that's really quite important to share this. Um, one of the key things of me actually joining it, one is the proposition, without a doubt, I loved. I've, I've worked in so many um, organisations previously, and um, there's never enough money and capital to be able to do global expansion at the speed that you usually want to do, any yeah. organisation yeah. wants to do. There may be one or two exceptions in this world that we can probably name, but generally, usually at the end of the year, it's or the beginning of the financial year, you're, under, you're trying to balance up, do I allocate capital and resources to this particular initiative or that particular initiative? Yeah. And what drew me, drew me to PIPRO was, well, here's our solution. You can outsource you know, a lot of the back end in terms of being able to globalize your solution for a local market without having to do little or anything in-house in development. Yep. And those big companies can focus on the front-end consumer experience. Yep. So that was one side of it. The other side of it was actually the stage of it, of yep. the business, and where we got to go in the yep. future, because it's just huge amounts of opportunity. And the third one was really the culture of the organisation. Um, it was It's very much um, entrepreneurial. Um, it's fun. Everyone works really well together. Now, that's something that's obviously um, key to the business now. And we've got to maintain that as we expand and grow and bring on new people. Yeah. In terms of the, um, the culture of the organisation, um, we were talking before we started the, mm -hmm. the show about a few things. Um, but, but one was um, when you started in payments, the, um, the, the diversity was was poor mm -hmm. at that point i think this yeah. is poor non close, really close to how you said it yes i think it was, <laughs> so i was going to say somewhat non-existent but okay yeah. yes yeah and 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 there's been progress um in pipro and and the space at large how how, how um, positive are you about that going in the right direction and if not or if you are what can we do to improve it no it's definitely going in the right direction it's moving could, it do, could they do more? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's gone in the right direction. I think from when I joined, <laughs> you know, it's of 20-odd years ago, um, it was quite a staid sort of part of the ecosystem. And um, I, I was saying to you earlier, I remember it when I was explaining my first role within the payments. It was yeah. uh, card acquiring. Um, and it was card acquiring for what was defined at that time, high risk, which, by the way, was um, standard e-commerce. 
um, but that was that long ago. Um, and I was explaining it to my father. He said, oh, so you're sort of like at the very bottom end of um, the uh, banking and financial institution. And so what do you think about your role and how sexy and exciting it is? So more or less saying it isn't. And if you fast forward now, there is absolutely no doubt, no question whatsoever, that this is just such a... Um, a part of the the value chain that is so exciting because of all the developments, because of technology, yeah. because of the consumer demands putting on, um, putting pressure to evolve the product to be um, more versatile. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think with that, it's created a more dynamic environment. Yeah. You know, the old school is not going to fit into what we've got to develop going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, so hence I better watch myself here. But, um, you know, you need that forward thinking. You need these people who are innovative and creative. And when you've got that investment in technology and advancement and the way that it's playing and how critical it is in, in terms of the, the, the link between utility at the front end and functionality... You start to see why it becomes a lot more more exciting, yeah. compelling to work in there. If I think time previously, it was all about the the um, the functionality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, so in our in our search business, um, you know, we 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 have a focus uh, within blockchain and crypto, mm-hmm. and choose to work with. Um, companies that we think will, will be around, uh, like exchanges. Mm-hmm. So that's a good hedge that they'll be around. Can you pick the particular crypto stocks? Maybe that's more tricky. So maybe that's not a great account for us. But what's so interesting is you think of it to start with as you know uh, something close to payments, let's say mm-hmm. the, the blockchain, right? But then when you start um, finding through that is, oh, actually we're working with a gaming company that just so happens to be on the blockchain, and suddenly it's become so fun. And it, I think it's much, much to your example with payments. When I think about you know the beginning of of my search career, and that that that's that's a similar type of time frame. And I think of payments as like, oh my god, it's like you know just merchants like mm-hmm. in the back office or, or whatever it might be. And like you say now, when you think of e-commerce, it's like it's so real. Everybody can relate to to the experience that mm-hmm. that happens there. So that attracts um, that attracts the right type of you know awesome diverse talent. Um, so that that. That that moves us to to the next part of the show quite nicely. We've got we've got a bit bit of a kind of like uh, window into to some of your background there. I wonder if you could think about and as far back as you'd like to go. Mm. Really, the first time that you started to think about who you might be in your career. Wow. Yes. Okay. So I, I'm going to. I'm not a good example of um, an individual who's got got to where they are today through planning. Okay. <laughs> you, you, that, that, that's, that seems to be a trend. <laughs> okay, so maybe I did something, I was mentoring somebody most, most recently and, I, and they said, oh, they haven't got a map, they haven't got a plan of where they're going, what haven't. I said, look, I'm going to hold my hand up and say, I don't, I don't think I have ever had one, but it just so has worked out for me. I went and did chemical and process engineer at university. Yeah. I think within the first five days, I realised that wasn't for me. Um, however, I was... Uh, you stuck at it. I stuck at it, Yeah. <laughs> And, and actually, what it did give me is um, I did a, a paper on genetic engineering, and um, I won a chance to go and work at um, Nippon Paint in, um, in in Japan. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, it was really cool. And um, you know, there was this uh, a girl from Oxford who went to a nice school, went to university. Never thought I was going to be ever going um, across the world again. So I really wanted to make the most of it. So I had this really great um, experience in Japan, living with a Japanese family and working in Nippon Paint. But it was research, and I knew research wasn't for me. 
And then when I came back... Why, went, was, why, why, why was that? Um, well, I think, not think, it was um, something to do with you're doing the same ex- experiments day in, day out, mm. um, constantly yeah. trying to find a, a cure or solve or whatever solution. And, you know, it takes an individual. I mean, fast forward now and everything that's been happening in you know since covid wow what a time for those people who have been in that if they were working on solutions for the vaccines etc yeah. yeah but it does take a type of personality because for all the successes you have there's a lot of dedicated research um and and um focused time yeah. where you make little progress so what so what was that about the personality because it's really interesting um you know how people find these things through experience in their career mm-hmm. and 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 for you that was something like um you know i'm doing something with a really long-term goal here and perhaps you needed something that was more fast-paced absolutely the so result came quicker yeah so that was for me you know yeah. what it was i realize i'm and i am now even more so as i get older I'm, I'm less patient less patient in terms of um wanting to achieve things be successful on things or initiatives um and so i realized that wasn't for me and so then i started working in um, in the commercial, um, industrial and commercial water heaters and boilers, doing sales, doing product development, then did an MBA. And after the MBA, I went and did management consultancy in Roland Berger. Sorry, I'm just going to stop there. Um, so sales, mm-hmm. so vast for anything you've done, I assume we, we didn't really go, you know, what maybe you were doing in, in jobs whilst in education, if you were, or if there was any sales. Yeah, no, it was bar job. I bar did bar job. jobs. I've, yeah. you know, it's done, a different form of sales, right? Yes, absolutely. I did bar <laughs> job, but no sales job. I think the bar job, I've done, you know, cafe jobs, etc. So this is the first time. Yeah. Uh, how did you find it? Were you, were you good at it? Um, it was really daunting at first. Um, I had to do it. It was um, put upon me by the, the organisation. Yeah. I had to go out, um, you know, pound the streets. And I was meeting and, and selling to a lot of maturer, um, experienced engineers who would be in the main around about, 40 to 55 yeah. um, in an engineering background. And how old were you at that point? And I was around <laughs> 22, 23. So you can imagine um, what it must have seemed like um, and how it was. But it's my tenacity. And actually, when I look back on it, it made me feel really uncomfortable for the initial six months. Yeah. But it taught me so much. Yeah. And we all sell at every... I'm a true believer now that every point of our day we're selling at some some shape or form yeah whether we're, we're selling an initiative in in at a workplace or if, if um we're selling an idea to a friends and family whether it's going to the you know going out doing something um you know you take it and you're selling constantly claire i need to ask you then what are the things you look for when you're hiring for people who um you know you're not trying to hire a whole team of claire's the whole time that would be impossible but brilliant. Mm. But you're looking for that type of, you You said that the tenacity was something that you mm. found made you good at it. I'm sure there was loads of other things. What do you think makes really good salespeople? And how do you hire for it? Yeah. Um, uh, tenacity is one, being very focused as well. And being comfortable. I think with a sales person, there's a two sides to it. Is One is the person's got to be able to listen and take what yeah. they're hearing and translate it to a solution that's going to add value. Yeah. Okay, and the final one for me is: Do salespeople feel comfortable when they're trying to close, being able to say things like, um, "Are you the decision maker?" Yeah. But in a nice way that not to make the first person feel uncomfortable, but ultimately being able to make sure that they know 
is this the person that I need to get the sign off from or is it somebody in their peer group yeah. or even their superior and how do I do that yeah and a lot of time that's quite that's quite hard because it makes somebody feel uncomfortable I was talking to um, Ned um, from bamboo who a really amazing business um, that started in Singapore global now um, you know in real brief let's just say they are a wealth tech Robo advisory type of a business much more um, he is amazing and uh, his favorite thing is sales um, he's very proud of sales. And you know what? That's refreshing because a lot of people try and like swerve around that being the, the crux of a skill set. Um, and he definitely does the reverse of that. Um, and so I was asking him similar type of like, what, what makes someone so great at this? And he said, which was really interesting, that he thinks that sales is a two-person team. Does that make sense? It's a two-person skill. You've got to be in a team of two at the minimum because... You have the Ned, who's the, you know, let's say on the it, it, on the coal face, on the call, selling, influencing. And then you really need, a, if you just think of it as two people, the operational administration side of it. And some people have that skill set as one person. But when you break it down like that, it's so interesting because then you think of the space now, I'm sure you're using something like Salesforce probably right or pipe drive or these type of tools and that's that person isn't it that's that system which which is crucial mm. and then the other side is the emotional intelligence the resistance the things that you were talking about mm. and um and sometimes well sometimes you often get really good um, salespeople and emotional intelligence yeah. the, the drive the tenacity you can do the deals and close the deals and often they're from the admin side of things <laughs> yeah. you know you're never getting them to update the sales force yeah. in time or anything like yeah, that yeah. and and that you have to bounce yeah absolutely but going back to what you're talking about you know what sales um as an as a as a skill and a profession is um undervalued in many markets not in the mm. u.s in the u.s it's very different if you're a professional salesperson it's looked on really highly because yeah. you know we know if you're a successful salesperson you can earn a lot of money and yeah. not not many people are really, really good at it. Yeah. Um, but here, yeah, you're right. In many European, um, in many countries, it doesn't have that same level of um, kudos as yeah. maybe somebody operating in, sorry to have to say it, guys, finance, you know, or in um, the legal. Oh, for sure. So in um, there's like in fintech at the moment, um, you, you, you could um, assume that the the crucial, cool, whatever you want to categorize it as roles would be what? Product, you know, being C-suite, maybe marketing's got a cool reputation. But but most of the companies that, um, you know, are blitz scaling are probably looking for many things, but a couple of things that really are the lifeblood of that business. Um, and, and one of them is sales, business development, partnerships, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Which, um, you know, kind of brings me back to now that we've got an understanding of, you know, Claire and your background. Um, you know, what are you going to do moving forward with this huge opportunity? Um, I'm not talking about the market. I'm talking about now so we can learn internally how you're going to look about having as much success as possible. So, you know, what is going to get the most partnerships? What is going to hire the best team and culture on top of the great team and culture you've already got? Um, how are you breaking that down? Like, what's what's the vision there? Mm. 
And actually, you sub vision, I was thinking, right, the immediate thing I'm going to say is about having transparency on the path and the plan of way forward. You know, as organisations, usually really good at creating the strategy um, and the North Star or whatever yeah. you want to describe it. But that usually is a five, ten year horizon. Yeah. And it's actually knowing what all the organisation, individuals who play a key role in getting to that end point, yeah. what they have to deliver. Yeah. What's going to make us successful in the next 12 to 18 months to 24 months? Because if we don't get that right, that path to where we ultimately want to be in five years' time is, is going to be a longer one than necessary. Yep. Um, it's also making sure that everyone not only understands um, where, where we're heading and what their role is within that, but also ensuring that they're valued. And, yep. you know, making it, make them see that their particular part that they play is crucial to the success in the next yeah, foreseeable future. So throughout a week as the CTO, mm. what does that look like? Could you talk us through that? Yeah, I try to combine, I really do try to combine customer facing um, with a lot of internal stuff. And internal could be coaching and, and um, managing the team. Yep. Okay. Um, and also it could be you know, liaising with my peers and other parts of the organization to ensure that whether it's product, whether it's technology, that they understand what are the key priorities that we've got near term and longer term that need to be delivered yeah. so that we can deliver to our customers. What's the biggest challenge in your way of all of this at the moment? Always is, I think, the speed of change. Okay, the speed of change and being able to ensure that um, the organization align align and can move at that speed of change and priorities unfortunately yeah, they change and they change so rapidly and um, you've got to be comfortable with that and it's hard for some people and understandably to get comfortable with what well, one minute we're going one minute we're going left okay and unfortunately you know sometimes that left has got to be slightly changed yep. um, and there's really good reasons for it but you've got to make sure that people understand why you're doing it and yeah. making sure that they get buy-in. Yeah. And that's also very key is um, decisions have to be made. And yeah. sometimes decisions are made collectively. Sometimes decisions are made by my team. Um, and sometimes there'll be decisions that I have to ultimately make. And then it's making sure that when those decisions are made, for want of a better reason, that we all align and move that forward. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you do well if you've got people with a growth mindset through that but the um influencing of that when there's crucial changes is is i'm sure one of the most important parts mm. of the role so so claire whilst this is all going on you're obviously incredibly successful at this point and largely ambitious what personally is uh, if you don't mind me asking mm. your setup so we've got to understand what's going on uh, along the side of this you know what, what are you up to whilst you're doing all this brilliant work outside of work well, I'm, I, you know, the basic things, I suppose I should say, although hopefully my husband isn't going to get offended by this, but I'm married with two children and a dog. Um, I do a lot of sports outside. Oh, okay, um, cool. Yeah. What do you do? I do running. Um, I do uh, spinning. I'm a, I have to say I'm a fan of Barry's Bootcamp, and I'm so delighted <laughs> that they've opened up again. So um, anywhere in the world, I love to go there. Um, so a masochist, to... yes, basically. Yes, I am a little bit, <laughs> but it keeps um, it keeps what I feel. I feel like it keeps me balanced. Yes, in, in many ways. Oh my god, I went to my first because I'm aware that if you go to classes at gyms, then they make you do a lot more than if I just do what I want to do. So, went to my first um, where it was a combination of being on an, a rowing machine for a minute, and then for a minute 
you have to go off and do various like hit type of activities mm-hmm. i was like lying on the floor at the end of it in a pool of sweat <laughs> just like this is torture but the, but then you're like okay i want to do that again you want to go back for more <laughs> yeah. don't you and then that's the thing what yeah. is it about us i don't know i know but yeah. but once you do it it's just that adrenaline and yeah. it gives you a great big pump up and you feel yeah. feel really positive and healthy for you as well yeah exactly um, so and do you um so i'm 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 being greedy here with mm. these questions because I've got a, a three-year-old daughter and trying to manage, you know, um, running a business with um, having a three-year-old daughter is uh, is something that I, I just have all the respect in the world for anyone who has more than one child and a successful career. How do you, um, how do you, like, this, this is very personal, but how do you structure that? Like, are you going to the the gym in the morning and like how are you making enough time for work but enough time for uh the family as well um okay so this morning i was up at i think it was five fifteen. so i did my workout first thing this morning wow. actually um so it, it's usually in the morning because if i don't yeah. get it done in the morning work and everything else can just yeah. take over yeah um i i have to hold my hand up and say i don't think i'm a great advocate i'm not advocate sorry i am an advocate of it i don't think i do very well at balancing work life um up until um covid struck i was traveling every week either to europe or to the us um so la and new york yeah so my daughter's now 15 and my other daughter is 13 it's difficult you've got to then spend time with them at um appropriate you know when you can and really dedicated time so i probably do less um you know friends and family type activities um wider than my direct family at a weekend because i want to spend that time with both my daughters while they want to you know they're getting to that age where they won't want to be spending much time with me but while they do i sort of like focus time on doing things with them what what i mean i know you're obviously happy for them to be happy and do whatever they do but what would you be slightly nudging or encouraging them to do in their education and careers at this point this is, this is that type of age yeah. where they're going to think about that, right? You know, they need to find something they're going to be passionate about. That's really important. Um, I, I can honestly say maybe I've had one-ish job that I really didn't enjoy. And I think that was more the environment. But it's important for people to find something they're going to enjoy. Yep. Because then work doesn't seem like a task. It seems fun. I mean, you know, when my husband says to me he's, he's a big golfer and he loves going out and doing golf and doing sports things and what have you. And he, he sometimes criticised me that I don't have enough external activities, but I enjoy what I do. So it doesn't feel like it's work and I come home and it's, you know, my other my other life. It all seems to blend nicely into one because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. So I would love everyone to find something that they're really passionate about. Yeah. Because when you're passionate about something, nine times out of ten, you're going to be more successful at it. Well, we at Mana Search agree with you, Claire. And searching for Mana, mm-hmm. um, of course is all about trying to find what people's passion and purpose is and so i shall ask you although we could we could try we could try and gather it from from a lot of the things you said what do you think your mana is i have a passion to build things to to solve problems um and to if somebody there's nothing that not winds me up but something that's going to get me going is oh, we can't do it this we can't that can't be done we can't do this that just doesn't resonate with me it's not to say that it's not going to be hard yeah or we're not going to have you know some some um you know difficulties that are going to obstacles are going to come our way and maybe the way that we'd like to do it 
won't happen. You know, we may have to adapt and change. But just that, I love to think of something that's going to be a real challenge and create the real big opportunity for it. Love it. And um, such, a, such, such a good one. With, um, you know, you commented that obviously since COVID, a part of the role has gone away, which was, you know, being on tour, being being at events, <laughs> going, meeting with clients or, or colleagues and traveling. Um, are you seeing that coming back? And do you hope it comes back? Or now have you settled into a new way of working where you, you don't hope it comes back? No, I think, um, I think if it only happened for six months, I actually think we'd all have would all be not wanting to go back to the pre-COVID time. Because it's, for me, and I think for a lot of people that I speak to, because it's gone on for such a long period of time, yeah. we are missing Zoom fatigue, you know, not having this interaction. I mean, look, us having this interaction here, yeah. you know, you go and have brainstorming, you see people in the office, you see people in drinks, wherever it may be, it's, it's you've missed it, people have missed it. Um, you know, brainstorming, there's only so much you can do, you know, remotely. Um, I'm I'm starting to travel. In fact, I'm travelling next week. Nice. Um, and Where I'm are you actually, off to? I'm off to uh, Munich next week. The following week, it's Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Yes. Oh yeah. And then the following week, I'm in Madrid for our um, small meetings. And I have to be honest, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> I can't wait to get out to meet yeah. everyone. Yeah. It's just it's a lift. Okay, it really lifts you and it feels good. And um, I want to see uh, the, the people. I think the workplace will change, by the way. So, you know, what, what might fit for me might not suit everybody else. And what we're doing at PPRO, and I think many organisations are doing, is making sure that there's a level of flexibility. Yeah. You know, for people who want to come in once a week, a few times a week, um, or somebody who wants to come in every day, or not at all, it's about getting the job done. And I've learned this over the years. When, I've, when I came from consultancy, which is a certain different principle and culture, to now as I've evolved... And matured in myself you know as long as you get that job done yeah um and the the manager has set those objectives correctly when that person gets it done is in their decision yeah. you know it's in there they, they should have the control of that yeah you know i've worked with people who are and i was talking to somebody else the other day about it first thing in the morning they were useless <laughs> Not useless for any other reason because they, that was just not their time of day. You know, they were they they came to light maybe at eight, nine, ten at night, and that's when they did the best work. So why should somebody you know stress that they've got to be at the desk for eight to eight, nine o'clock in the morning when actually that is something that's not going to not conducive to the, how they perform the best? Have you um, have you read No Rules Rules? Um, no, I haven't actually. Which is um, Reed Hastings' um, book, the okay. founder of Netflix. Yep. Um, yeah, somebody recommended it. Yes, it's, it's, it's highly reviewed and I've just read it and I'm always a parrot for the book that I've just read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it talks a lot about some of the great stuff that you just said. Uh, um, let me gift you that, that book. Okay. Um, it's brilliant. But it, it really talks about how there's different filters to get to not having rules in an organization. Mm. You know, if you just start off the cuff with it, it's highly likely to not work until you have a, a really rich density of culture. Mm. And then you can start moving away from it. Mm. And I, do, I, I think that the period of time that we went through the pandemic, to your point, which is almost like three lots of six months, right? Um, it's done that. It, it, has, mm. it has forced this reevaluation of what the work place can be like and you know the future of work is, has kind of fast-tracked to what's a lot more healthy which allows various characters the flexibility to do 
great work um, in different ways. And all the businesses that um, you know encourage that are going to do really well for that. Mm. So it's, it's great, mm. isn't it? It's it great. Is. It's great to see. The other thing that I would say though, um, when you're starting off in your career, a lot of the things that you gain and value and, and benefit from is seeing people how they how you interact with them, learning from yep. from them. And my concern a little bit would be not being in the workplace directly with people that you can um, see in, in situations, whether it's problem solving, whether it's deal making, whether it's a level of experience or techno- technical knowledge. Some of that might not be so easy to tra- transfer remotely as it is in the workplace. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's, there's great research and, um, you know, lots of press on these type of things. And that seems to be the recurring um, trend, doesn't it? That mm. probably earlier on in a career, um, depending on what you're doing, it's it's going to be a like healthy uh, and and be probably more productive. To definitely have some um, of the time in the office where you can emulate people slightly further down yeah, down right. the path. So yeah, no, I completely agree. Just 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 lastly, um, you know, open the floor to you to say anything that you know I might not have asked you about that you'd really like to talk to the audience about. Yeah, I think um, the, the thing I would say with respect to people's career and choices, um, you know, you, you need to try things out. You need to be open to new opportunities. And I think maybe one of the ways that I have got to where I am today is because when opportunities came my way, I, I, I nine times out of ten I took them. In fact, probably all the times I took them. Um, and I made the most out of them. And, and I, with every role that I have, I've got and gained a lot from and learned from. And it's it's understanding that and putting all your energy um, and enthusiasm into it and making the best you can out of that particular role and sometimes it's um sometimes people are so i find especially you know people coming into the workplace they've got such a clear idea of where they want to go which is in many ways wonderful but in i do wonder sometimes just be careful that you don't um shut yourself up from different opportunities that are going to grow and develop you and help you get to that ultimate position where you want to be. Yeah, br- brilliant advice. Um, complete, completely agree. There's um, a show um, that we put out where um, it was mainly talking about um, a book um, that had come out on serendipity. And this this individual had, had studied, why are people good at that or not so good at that? Which is, in essence, how to take your opportunity. It's a mindset. If you continually uh, looking at it and trying to take it, over time that really builds up mm. to good opportunity. Uh, and if you're not, then obviously, guess what? You know, you're going to even need to be incredibly lucky, or you just won't take opportunity. So it's it's, it's a complete mindset that I think is as important as the skill set that you have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Um, you're doing such exciting work, and uh, I wish you all the the future success. I'm sure you'll have. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.